0: Visit investhercon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's investhercon.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket.
1: The possibilities are endless in terms of problems that aren't anticipated by buyers because they're just not used to looking at these types of assets relative to traditional real estate leases.
0: Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference great way to earn money and also if you're planning on attending great way to pay for your ticket essentially you get enough sales so you can go to bec20.com and in the top left corner it says earn 15 percent as an affiliate you can click that join the affiliate program and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in keystone colorado and we will be talking more about this on future episodes but for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best of listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff, and I hope you're having a best ever weekend because today is Sunday. We got a special segment for you called Skillset Sunday. And we're going to be talking about wireless agreements. With us today to talk about that, James Kennedy. How are you doing, James?
1: I'm well. How are you?
0: I am doing well and looking forward to it. A little bit about James. He's the founder and CEO of Steep Steel. He's been working and consulting in real estate and development for more than 30 years. He actually is uniquely qualified to analyze, interpret, and discuss wireless agreements as well as their impact and relationship to the underlying and adjacent real estate. So that's what we're going to focus our time on, Basin Woodlands. So with that being said, James, first, how about you give the best ever listeners just a little bit more about your background, and then let's dive right into wireless agreements.
1: Will do. Thanks, Joe, for having me. I have an MBA from the University of Southern California and a master's in real estate and construction management from the University of Denver. I'm also a CCIM, for those of you who are familiar with the Certified Commercial Investment Member Certification our designation. And I've been a longtime analyst of wireless agreements, and I'm hopeful that what I can provide to your listeners will be significant in terms of their ability to acquire properties using the leases as a benefit and reducing risk or eliminating risk and increasing upside. Yes. So please let me know any questions you have.
0: Okay. First, can you just talk about when you say wireless agreements, what exactly are you referring to?
1: It can mean a number of different things, but generally it's what people know to be cell tower leases, which are oftentimes, most often, what they call ground leases, which is a lease for a particular area of a property or a rooftop lease on top of a building. Those would be the most two common instances that your listeners would be familiar to your listeners.
0: And are we talking about pre-existing or reaching out to carriers in an attempt to bring a ground lease or a rooftop lease to our property?
1: It's interesting that that question comes up a lot about carriers and people ask, how do I get a cell tower on my property? It's perfect. Right. It's a great location. It's not so easy. You can sign up, you can register with the carriers. We help a lot of people do that with carriers and tower companies or what they call infrastructure developers to just indicate that you're a, a cooperative landlord or someone who would be interested in it. And if they find that there's a need, then you will be approached. That said, it doesn't happen often. If we consider the total number of cell towers and rooftop antennas in the country relative to the total number of commercial or residential properties, you see that there's a huge disparity there. So it's a fraction of 1%.
0: Okay. So it's less about proactively bringing it to our property. It's more about if it's currently there, what do we do with it and how do we maximize it?
1: Right. If it's currently there or if a carrier or tower company approaches a property owner and says, hey, there's an offer. And that's where we usually come in at steep steel.
0: Okay, got it. So which scenario should we go through if it's currently there or if a carrier approaches a property?
1: Well, the most common is if it's currently there. So for your listeners, if they're purchasing a property, this is a concern. And this is where you can really maximize the value and mitigate the risk. As I was talking about by negotiating, perhaps in conjunction with the escrow on the purchase of a property for a modification to lease terms at closing for the cell tower lease. For the purposes of this discussion, we'll just call them all cell tower leases. Perfect. They're all okay. forms of wireless agreement, just to make that clear. Yep. And it's a great opportunity. I mean, literally, if a buyer is sophisticated and understands what can be done with these leases, you can sell the lease concurrent with the closing and offset some of your acquisition costs or down payment costs, right? If you're raising capital, which many of your listeners do, this is a great way to do that. And we help people do that, whether they're government or private, commercial landowners on their acquisitions of property so it's something that really needs to be managed and you really want to pay attention to it during your escrow period on the purchase
0: so if there's a cell tower on a property we're purchasing one option would be to sell that lease at the same time that we're purchasing the property to be less out of pocket when we purchase the property
1: that's correct and in order to do so obviously it would not be something that could be part of the collateral to the lender Most lenders don't like collateralizing these agreements, though, because many of these agreements have early termination clauses. So you can imagine that there's some risk aversion that lenders have to collateralizing these. And they generally don't provide you the value that you could get for the same lease on a sale basis if they do collateralize it. So we generally recommend that people do sell them at the purchase for the particular types of properties and with the right bundle of rights being sold.
0: Okay. And I know you just mentioned a little bit about why we wouldn't keep it, but as a real estate investor, if I see a cell tower lease on a property, I'm thinking, man, that's just additional income. I'm just going to keep that thing. Why wouldn't that make sense?
1: You're right. It is counterintuitive relative to what it is that I know that many people do when they're investing in real property. They say, hey, we're going to hold and we're going to exchange. By the way, these these assets can be exchanged as well. if You've held it for over a year, but the same rules apply as they do for real estate. But I think it's because people aren't familiar with these, generally speak. either they don't want to sell them and it helps them to acquire the property. They should, at a minimum, have a professional manager or team manage the asset or assets because they're much different than traditional commercial or residential properties in terms of management and in terms of understanding the lease terms. And how to maximize, again, the value, the benefit, and mitigate risks. And there are risks associated with these. An example of risk that's currently in the market is the merger of Sprint and Mm T-Mobile. And that's still has been going on this entire year, and it's still not done. But that has an adverse effect on some sites. So we talked to landlords about that, and our recommendation in that case is now it's a hold because it's a little late. But without getting too far off on the side, there are just so many things to consider with these based on emerging technologies and mergers and consolidations, that landlords need to be very well-educated and aware beyond just the real property considerations.
0: What's an example of a property owner inheriting a cell tower lease and then it going wrong?
1: There are a few examples. One thing is not understanding the responsibilities of the lease. And by the way, it's worth noting that even if one sells the lease, let's suppose one of your listeners buys a property and it has a cell tower with a cell tower lease. The responsibilities of the lease remain. So if you've sold it, you're still going to be responsible and future landowners will be responsible for that lease. Although these leases, unlike most other leases, are not inherently active for landowners. It's really about access. But negotiating the lease terms when you're acquiring the property or understanding the lease terms is imperative because some of these leases could have been previously negotiated say 15 or 20 years ago and they could be coming up on an end date. There could be some terms that are not included in the lease. There could be some issues associated with access. One of the examples that I like to use is access on government properties. When We have government landlords. If there's a cell tower lease there and a government is a landlord, they may not realize they signed over access 24-7 to a carrier, and that could be problematic for them. And it could be on an existing site, and they don't even realize it. So for secure buildings, that's a problem. The possibilities are endless in terms of Problems that aren't anticipated by buyers because they're just not used to looking at these types of assets relative to traditional real estate leases.
0: So I don't believe we've looked at a property that has a cell tower. Is this common?
1: You mean the percentage of properties with towers versus... right. Well, it's increasing in how common it's becoming with the rollout of 5G. So you've got two kind of categories of towers. Beyond the rooftop and ground towers. You've also got small cells which are emerging. People are talking a lot about that in the media today. Small cells, small cells. The FCC passed an order effective January 14th of this year. What are they? What are
0: small cells?
1: cells. Think of them like small cell towers or small cell sites, although they can be quite large. It's a bit of a misnomer. But small cells, they operate on the edge of macro cell sites, the rings, and they expand the range and penetration so that you have less in the way of gaps. Small cells, in simplest terms, they will provide better coverage than exists without them at the edges of the radius of a cell site range. And as we move into 5G, increase the speed and create some value so that we can use advanced technologies. When you're talking about autonomous vehicles, artificial intelligence, smart cities, smart homes, those are going to become increasingly present. So small cells are gonna become increasingly present on properties and in the public right of way.
0: Let's talk money. And I know you're gonna have not a straight answer to this, but I'm just gonna ask you the question. How much can you receive on average if you have a cell tower lease on your property?
1: That varies like property values all over the (laughs) country, right? exactly, so
0: what are the variables relying on?
1: There are a lot of variables that determine a lease value. So let's talk about it. There are two ways to really characterize this. One is the lease rental rate and the other is what's the lease sale value. If you have a property that you're looking at and it's got a lease and it's getting $2,000 a month, it's got multiple top tier tenants arising and a T-Mobile on the tower. It escalates at 4% annually and it's only got a few years left on the lease. That lease on a sale basis could be several hundred thousand dollars, which could occur to offset your down payment. And the range, what we call a multiple the multiple of annual cash flows will be between 15 and 20, typically, maybe 14 and 20 times annual net operating income of the lease. These are triple net leases, so there are no real expenses. A tower company comes in, they lease the ground space. Most expensive, most valuable leases in the country, I think, in Manhattan, they're over several million dollars. But you could have some rural areas that are only generating 50 or $100 a month in rent, so they're not significant in terms of value but it's a fairly intense process and it includes remaining duration of lease. And this is important. The shorter the remaining duration of lease on a cell tower, the more the value goes up and that's counterintuitive. Yeah. Joe. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Well, you know why it is though? Why? Because the carriers or the tower company, they don't want to relocate that. So if you get into the last five years of that lease, especially if they have multiple tenants, that's expensive for them to move. And they might be paying you 1500 a month in rent, but if they have multiple tenants, they might be getting 10000 a month in rent from the tenants, So the net to them is enormous. They don't want to risk losing the tenants. They don't want to have to relocate. And that can happen just by virtue of the relocation. It can also happen if they have to move to a place where one of the tenants says, hey, I can't use that. I don't need it there. I need it here. So, so tenants, will... tenants
0: request having cell towers? Did I hear that?
1: Well, there are a number of different types of tenant carriers. The ones you know, AT&T, Verizon, yeah. Sprint, T-Mobile. Those are major tenants on the towers, and they used to also be the tower owners. Okay. But many of them have sold off the towers to the tower companies who manage the ground. Their real estate investment trusts, American Tower, Crown Castle, that, SBA. I,
0: that's what I was missing. Okay, got it. Yeah, I thought you were saying tenants as tenants of the building that are next to the cell tower. That's where I was confused.
1: No, no, the cellular tenants don't want to relocate. They get these leases, and they're structured. Generally speaking, with an initial one or two six to 12 month options, and then a five year initial term, and then multiple five year terms after that, up to say 35 or even 50 years in total. But these are all options. So a lot of people misconstrue that, and they say, oh, it's a 50 year lease. Well, no, if they stay for 50 years, as you know, it then becomes a 50 year lease potentially, but it's not guaranteed. At the same time, as I pointed out earlier, they can be terminated. And if it's for one reason or another, that happens either for emerging technologies, consolidation, whatever, an acquisition of one carrier by another, which isn't really happening much anymore. But there are a number of reasons that that could happen, although it doesn't happen often. So we just go down the list. We wanna talk about the variables that affect the values. It's like the number of tenants, the type, the location, location of adjacent towers, zoning, rent, infrastructure type, and how many tenants could a tower hold? What's the area and other option areas? so that the tower company or carrier could say, hey, we have 1,000 square feet now, but we're going to need 1,500, so we have a 500-foot option. If that exists, that can increase the lease value. Early termination clause, that's what I was talking about earlier, that's not necessarily ideal. We try to weed those out. And right of first refusal, very much the same as what's in real estate. If somebody comes along to buy the property or buy the lease, the tower company or carrier would have a right to match the offer. Mergers and acquisitions, I pointed out, Subleases, leases co-location, and revenue sharing, those are big too. And that's where the landlord gets a piece of secondary tenants. If another tenant comes though on the tower because the landlord gets some rent from that as well. Because under the tower company model, they like to keep that. And as you can imagine, the landlord would like a piece as well. And utility and property tax reimbursement, those are some of the biggies. Then we get into maintenance, access, repairs. All these things can have an effect on lease value and perception to the market.
0: If you come across a property that has a cell tower, I see in some information you sent over to us prior to the interview, you mentioned, make sure to have a good civil engineer to assist in the lease amendment negotiations. Why do they need
1: to be involved? Well, it's real important that people understand you're going to get a survey. They're going to give you a proposed survey. This is what we're going to build. This is what it's going to look like. And you want to make sure that they're only using the square footage that they're leasing And these things can get difficult to understand for a layman. So if you're not familiar with it, it's worth having your own surveyor look at it and make sure that the description they're proposing in the lease matches what's on the survey because oftentimes the survey will become the defining document regardless of the description. The description shows one thing or outlines one thing, which in most legal descriptions, as you can imagine, and I'm sure most of your listeners would know, unless you're an expert, they're kind of tough to read and tough to understand. So the depiction in the survey is helpful. And if you're not an expert at reading the survey or the legal description, it's better to have a survey or interpret it for you to make sure that they match, that the location of the property is correct and that the area is correct and the equipment as well.
0: And what is lease stripping?
1: That's the sale of the lease independent of the underlying real estate. Okay. And it can be very technical. And it's important to understand that when you sell it, depending on the type of property exposes what we call value penalty. A lot of people, brokers and other real estate and legal professionals assume that if they're talking about the value of a cell tower property, we'll call a property that's got a cell tower and a cell tower lease on it, a a cell tower property, that they can say, well, the property's worth X and the lease is worth Y, that means the combination of value is X plus Y. And I would argue that that's not true because the mere presence of a cell tower, depending on the type of property, can actually reduce the value of the property. It's the lease that offsets that reduction. So if you have a commercial property and it's got a cell tower on it, the cell tower occupies 5,000 square feet of land area of an acre. Well, there's 10% of your land area or 11% of your land area occupied. There's opportunity cost there. It changes what you can develop and what future uses could be. And you also have to look at a cell tower. Now, if this is an old industrial property and the tower's in the back, it may not have a significant impact. But if it's a multifamily, as I know many of your listeners are really in in that market space, you have to be careful about where the tower is placed, what it looks like, and the aesthetics are important. Can you see it? Is it a stealth tower? Is it obvious or is it a rooftop and it's hidden? So when you strip the lease away, you might actually have a reduction in the value. You take the X plus Y, take away the Y, the property, the lease. And the X might be X minus 100,000 or 5% or 10% of the property value because someone's looking at this cell tower. The presence is there. It's occupying space. It's not necessarily a plus. If you had two properties identical to one another, one had a cell tower without a lease, and the other one had no cell tower at all, which would you prefer? Right. But we work to offset value penalty, to renegotiate lease terms during escrow if possible, which it very often is. And make sure that if they're sold, that the bundle of rights sold with the tower lease do not create a greater problem for the landlord. They're consistent with the original and underlying lease terms. And those are all factors involved in the sale of leases, independent of the real estate. And it's just important to kind of have a really qualified cell tower lease consultant on your team if you're buying or selling a property with these or managing a property with cell tower and cell tower leases.
0: Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to cell tower leases that you think we should before we wrap up?
1: Well, we covered quite a bit. It's important to remember that these things can be exchanged. They can be sold independent of the real estate. Real estate can be sold without them. They can be sold independent of the real estate. They can be sold together. And that if you're going to sell these assets, make sure that you really understand the nature of the sale and how it's different from the nature of the real estate sale and consider a purchase or a sale of a property, in particular a purchase, if it includes a cell tower lease or leases, you're actually running multiple escrows concurrently. You're doing due diligence on both the property and the leases. So it's important if you want to maximize the value and mitigate the risk that you take the leases seriously and consider what they mean to the transaction.
0: How can the best ever listeners learn more about your company?
1: The best way is to go to steepsteel.com. It's S T E E P S T E E L dot com, or they call our number 855 Steel 66 and let us know how we can help.
0: It's a topic, as I mentioned before we started recording, I knew nothing about, I'd say virtually nothing about, and now I know a whole lot. James, thank you for talking to us about. Wireless agreements. I'd say odds are most people are not going to come across it who listen. However, those who do come across it are be very grateful that we had this conversation. And it is important just a more well rounded education as real estate investors this type of opportunity and what to do with it should we come across a property because it might scare people off when they see it or they might see dollar signs, but in reality, it might not be the dollar signs that they anticipated. So it's important from an acquisition standpoint too, as we're looking at property. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.